simplysafe.com. Whole home protection, protection for everybody, window, room, and door against intruders, briars, water damage, medical emergencies, and more. All monitored 24-7 by professionals ready to dispatch police. Everything you need to know. Experts choose SuperSafe Home Security. Named Best Home Security Overall by U.S. News and World Report and awarded by Popular Mechanics and more. Live professional alerts. SuperSafe bonding staff calls you when trouble is detected and stays with you until it's solved. Dispatch faster with visual verification. Adding visual verification to your monitoring plan lets us let's SuperSafe verify your alarm is real, so please and can dispatch faster. It's a lot less expensive. SuperSafe has cut out the middleman and make markup so you get more security for less with no contact. Prepared for the unexpected? Lose power, lose Wi-Fi, someone attacks the system, natural disasters, SuperSafe is ready. Protects against fires and water damage more than just intruders. SuperSafe Pro's monster gets leaks, floods, fires, and more. Keep an eye inside and out. With HD security cameras for indoors and out, see what's happening all the time. Designed to disappear for the tiny size of SuperSafe sensors to easy one-touch control means you'll never notice your security system. Detects people, ignores pets. Motion sensors use a precision human form detection algorithm. Compare your security options. Traditional home security, monitored by professionals, 36 months contract, monitoring costs 37 to $53 a month. Hardwired needs a landline, poor rating on trust pilot. SuperSafe, the better way, monitored by professionals, no contracts, wireless, no drilling or landline required. Great rating on trust pilot, easy to set up yourself in no time. Here's how it works. Choose your security sensors. SuperSafe will walk you through exactly what your home needs and ship it to your front door in under a week. Set it up in just a few minutes. No tools needed or let one of SuperSafe pros do it for you. Sensors guard all your rooms and entry points. If there's trouble, SuperSafe sponsoring center will call you and if needed, dispatch authorities. More reasons to choose SuperSafe. Arm, disarm from anywhere. Forgot to arm your system. Need to get someone in. Do it right from your phone anytime. Almost never change your batteries. Batteries last for almost a decade in SuperSafe's entry centers. The best lifespan in the entry. Battery life may vary based on use. Alexa, arm my system. Your, use your system with Alexa, Google Assistant, August Locks, Apple Watch, and more. Keep an eye on cabinets, safes, and more. Secret alerts quietly alert you if someone cr- dr- accesses private areas without sounding an alarm. Customized for your home. We'll SuperSafe will customize the right system for your home's needs. Incredible range. Mini wireless security. <coughs> Mini wireless security systems struggle to cover your entire house. SuperSafe can cover large homes with ease. Custom alerts for friends and family. Set up text alerts for friends and family. Stay in the know. Duress pin. If someone forces you to disarm your system, your duress pin will secretly alert the authorities. Meet the station. View station. The brains compares. Comes with a built-in cell connection to rapidly alert. SuperSafe's emergency dispatch center. Try it. Test it. Love it. Or return it. Test SuperSafe in your home for 60 days. Your system Arrives ready to work, no drilling or tools needed. If you aren't 100% satisfied, return for a full refund and SuperSafe will even pay return shipping. Purple.com. Sleep better for less. Number one in customer satisfaction. Two years in a row with mattresses online by JD Power Award. Pick the right mattress for you. The Purple Mattress is a dual layered comfort form. Purple Hybrid is a breathable response support. Purple Hybrid. Premier is a less pressure for dreamy floating. 
The adjustable base to make it possible for work, read, and lounge your bed. Bundle up for big savings, 10% off premium bedding and cushion bundles. Kid measures ultimately place grid and softer form for best support for little sleepers. Enjoy no pressure support with free sheets and two pillows on select mothers purchase up to 247 value. Sleepy Jones and purple pajamas all day comfort with soft stretch inspired pajamas while you worry about breakfast. Some products are purple harmony pillow, double sheet cushion, purple gravity weighted blanket, purple duvet. Choose purple for no response pressure support for every. Buddy, 30 plus years and 35 pens. Comfort gel grid. Technology originally created to make wheelchairs more comfortable than their remembered beds. People love purple, period. Positively, P-A-W-S-tively. Comfy even for your fur baby. It is part two of clown killer John Wayne Gacy. Divorce. Following a heated argument regarding her failing to balance a PDM contrast checkbook correctly in October 1975. Carol Gacy asked her husband for a divorce. Gacy agreed to his wife's request, although by mutual consent. Carol continued to live at 8213 West Summerdale until February 1976, when she and her daughters moved into their own apartment. One month later, on March 2nd, the Gacy's divorce was decreed upon the false grounds of Gacy's infidelity with Lemon was finalized. Although Gacy remained gregarious and civic-minded, several member- neighbors became aware of erratic changes in his behavior after his divorce in March 1976 and subsequent arrest in December 1978. This behavior included hearing his car arrive depart in the early hours of the morning, noting light switches on and off in his home at odd hours, and his keeping company with young males. One neighbor later recollected that for several hours, she and her son had repeatedly been awoken by the repeated sounds of muffled screaming, shouting, and crying in the early morning hours, which she and her son had identified as emanated from a house adjacent to theirs on Somerdale Avenue. Cruising years, 1976-1978. The majority of Gacy's murders were committed between 1976 and 1978, which he later referred to as his cruising years, now that he had his house to himself. One month after his divorce, finally, Gacy abducted and murdered an 18-year-old youth named Daryl Sampson. Sampson was last seen alive in Chicago on April 7, 1976. Five weeks later, on the afternoon of May 14th, a 15-year-old named Randall Reffitt disappeared walking home from school, home from Sen High School. The youth was gagged with a cloth, causing him to die of asphyxiation. Hours after Rhett had been abducted, a 14-year-old named Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked to his home from his sister's apartment. Both youths were buried in the same grave in the crawl space. On June 3rd, 1976, Gacy killed a 17-year-old Lakeview youth named Michael Bonin. He disappeared while traveling home from Chicago to Waukegan and was strangled with a ligature and buried in the crawl space. Ten days later, a 16-year-old uptown youth named William Carroll was murdered and buried directly beneath Gacy's kitchen. Carroll may have been the first of four males known to have been murdered between June 13th and August 6th, 1976, who was buried in a common grave located beneath Gacy's kitchen and laundry room. A three identified youth killed between June 13th and August 6th were aged between 16 and 17 years old, whereas the only identified male to have been murdered between these days is a man with medium dark hair, estimated to have been aged between 23 and 30 years old, and between 5 foot 1 inches and 5 foot 6 inches, 150 and 170 centimeters tall. This man had two innocent upper front teeth at the time of his disappearance, leading investors to believe this appearance. This particular victim may most likely or a denture, he was buried directly beneath the body of a 16-year-old Minnesota youth named James Hawkinson, who was last known to have phoned his family on August 5th, and whose body was was itself buried 
directly beneath that of 17-year-old Bensonville youth named Rick Johnston, who was last seen alive on August 6th. On July 6th, on July 26th, 1976, Gacy employed an 18-year-old named David Cram. On August 21st, Cram moved into his house. The following day, Gacy conned Cram into donning handcuffs. While the youth was inebriated, Gacy swung Cram around while holding the chain linking the cuffs, then informed him that he was that he intended to rape him. Cram, who had spent a year in the army, kicked Gacy in the face and then freed himself from the handcuffs as Gacy lay prone. One month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door with the intention to rape him and said, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. Cram resisted Gacy's attempts to assault him, and Gacy left his bedroom. After this incident, Cram moved out of Gacy's home and subsequently left PDM contractors, although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years. Shortly after Cram had vacated Gacy's residence, another employee of PDM contract, H.O. Michael Rossi, moved into Gacy's house. Two further identified males were estimated to have been killed between August and October 1976. One of these victims was buried directly above the body of William Carroll, who had been murdered on June 13th, yet higher than the body of Rick Johnston, who was last seen on August 6th. This particular identified male is estimated to have been aged between 15 and 24 years old and had light brown hair, subsequent to burial patterns of victims within the crawl space, plus the circumstance of the fact that Cram had not lived against until August 21st, leaving a possible date of between August 6th and 20th, 1976, at the time this particular man was murdered. The second unidentified male likely to have been murdered between August and October 1976 is between 18 and 22 years old, who is known to suffer from an obsessed tooth at the time of his murder. This male was buried in the northeast corner of the crawl space, subsequent to by an employee of PDM contractors of a trench guess that he had directed him to dig before the termination of his employment. On October 5th, 1976, being the location where this particular victim was buried, suggests a date between August and October 1976 as being then this particular victim was murdered. On October 24th, 1976, Gary abducted and killed two teenage friends named Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. The two youths were last seen outside a restaurant when on Clark Street, both youths were strangled and buried in the same gra- grave in the crawl space. Two days later, 19-year-old, a 19-year-old employee of PDM contractors named William Bundy disappeared after informing his family he was he was to attend a party. Bundy also strangled. Bundy was also strangled and buried in the crawl space, buried directly beneath Gacy's master bedroom. In December 1976, another PDM employee, 17-year-old Greg Godzik, had disappeared. He was last seen with his girlfriend by his girlfriend outside her house after he had driven her home. Following a date, Godzik had worked for PDM for only three weeks. Before he disappeared, in the time he had worked for Gacy, he had informed his family. Gacy had him dig trenches for some kind of drain tiles in his crawl space. Godzik's car was later found abandoned in Niles. His parents and older sister Eugenia contacted Gacy about Greg's disappearance. Gacy claimed to the family that Greg had run away from home, having indicated to Gacy for a disappearance that he wished to do so. Gacy had also claimed to have received a record answering received a recorded answer machine message from Gossick shortly after the youth had disappeared. When asked if he could play back the message to Gossick, Gacy stated that he had erased it. A, six month later, a month later, on January 20, 1977, John Zick, S-Y-S-Z-Y-C, a 19-year-old acquaintance of Pukovich, Gossick and Gacy disappeared. Shik was lured to Gacy's house on the pretext of selling his Plymouth Satellite to Gacy. He was buried at Gacy's crossbow directly by the body of Gosnick, a ring torn by Sheik 
Shake was bore his initials were retained in the dresser in Gacy's master bedroom. Master bedroom. Gacy also kept Shake's portable Motorola TV in his bedroom and later sold the used car to Michael Rossi. Between December 1976 and March 1977, Gacy is known to have killed an unidentified young man estimated to be around 25 years old and is wished upon the key FOB. Key fob found among the personal artifacts buried with his unknown victim suggests his name. His first name may have been Greg or Gregory. His body was buried in the cross beneath the body of a 20-year-old named John Prestige, a Michigan youth visiting friends in Chicago whom Gacy killed on March 15th. After the murder of Prestige, Gacy is believed to have murdered one further unidentified youth exhumed from his cross space. Although the timing of this particular youth's murder is inconclusive, the youth was buried parallel to the wall of Gacy's crossbeds directly beneath the entrance to his home. The two victims murdered on the same day in May 1976 were buried alongside this youth. Yet, subsequently, burial compatibles of three victims murdered in 1977 leave it an unequal possibility that this particular victim may have been murdered in the spring or summer of 1977. All that is known about this youth is that he was aged between 17 and 21 years old and that he suffered a fractured left collarbone before his disappearance. In March 1977, Gacy was hired as a construction supervisor for PE Systems, a firm which specialized in initial remodeling of drugstores. As a result of this contract, Gary Gacy regularly traveled to other states to supervise construction projects, and he later stated that through both businesses, PDM contracts and PE Systems, he often simultaneously worked on up to four construction projects with almost 80 buildings being successfully remodeled in 1977. Alone. In April 1977, Michael Rossi moved out of Gacy, Gacy's home the same month. Gacy became temporarily engaged to a woman he had been dating for three months, and his fiance moved into his house. By mutual agreement, the engagement was called off in June of that year, and his fiance moved out of his home. The following month, Gacy killed a 19-year-old Crystal Lake youth named Matthew Bowman. He was buried in the crossbath with the tourniquet used to strangle him, still knotted around his neck. On August, in August 1977, a clue emerged to the disappearance of John Schick. Michael Rossi, who had bought Schick's car from Gacy, was arrested for stealing gasoline from a service station while driving the car. The attendant noted the license plate number and police traced the car to Gacy's house. When questioned, Gacy told officer that Schick had sold the car to him in February with the expression that he needed money to leave town. The police did not pursue the matter further, although they did inform Schick's mother that her son had sold his car to the Gacy. In late 1977, Gacy began dating Carol Hoff in the hope of recreation. By the end of 1977, Gacy is also known to have murdered an additional six young men between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these six victims, 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, was last seen alive on September 15th. Gilroy, the son of a Chicago police sergeant, was suffocated and buried in the crawl space. On September 12th, Gacy had flown to Pittsburgh to supervise a remodeling project and did not return to Chicago until September 16th, as Gacy is known to have been in Another state at the time the youth was last seen, it is possible that Gacy subsequently claims that he had not acted alone and some may have held credits. Ten days after Gilroy was last seen, a 19-year-old U.S. Marine named John Mulry disappeared after leaving his mother's house to walk his, walk to his own apartment. Mulry was strangled to death and buried in the northwest corner of the crossroads perpendicular to the, bo- to the body of William Bundy. On October 17th, the 21-year-old Minnesota youth named Russell Nelson disappeared. He was last seen in a Chicago bar 
Nelson died of suffocation as muscle buried in the crawl space. Less than four weeks later, a 16-year-old Kalamazoo youth named Robert Winch was murdered and buried in the crawl space in October, on November 18th. A 20-year-old father of one named Tommy Bowling disappeared after leaving a Chicago bar. Both Winch and Bowling were strangled to death, and both youths were buried in the crawl space directly beneath the hallway. Three weeks after the murder of Tommy Bowling on December 9th, a 19-year-old U.S. Marine named David Talsma disappeared after informing his mother he was to attend a rock concert in Hammond. Talsma was strangled with a ligature and buried in the crawl space. On December 30th, 1977, Gacy abducted a 19-year-old student named Robert Donnelly from a Chicago bus stop at gunpoint. Gacy drove Donnelly home with him, raped him, tortured him with various devices, and repeatedly dunked his head into the bathtub filled with water until he passed out, then revived him. Donnelly later assessed at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to kill him to get it over with, to which Gacy replied, I'm getting around to it. After several hours of assaulting and torturing the youth, Gacy drove Donnelly to his place of work, removed the handcuffs from the youth's wrist, and released him. Donnelly reported the assault, and Gacy was questioned about it on January 6, 1978. Gacy admitted to having had slave sex with Donnelly, but insisted everything was consensual. The police believed him, and no charges are filed. The following month, Gacy killed a 19-year-old youth named William Kindred, who disappeared on February 16, 1978, after telling his fiancée he was to spend the evening in a bar. Kindred was the final victim to be buried in Gacy's crossbase, and Gacy began disposing of the victims in the Des Plaines River. In March 1978, Gacy lured a 26-year-old named Jeffrey Rignall into his car. Upon entering the car, the young man was chloroformed and driven to the house on Somerdale, where he was raped, tortured with various instruments, including lit candles and whips, and repeatedly chloroformed into unconsciousness. Rignall was then driven to Lincoln Park, where he was dumped unconscious but alive. Eventually, he managed to stagger to his girlfriend's apartment. Rignall was later informed the corporate had permanently damaged his liver. Police were again informed of the assault, but did not investigate Gacy. Rigdell was able to recall through the chloroform haze of that night. Gary's a distinctive black Oldsmobile, the Kennedy Expressway, and particular side streets. He staked out the exit on the expressway where he knew he had been driven until in April he saw the Oldsmobile, which Rigdell and his friends followed in 1812 West Somerdale. Police issued an arrest warrant, and Gacy was arrested on July, July 15. He was facing an impending trial for a battery charge for the Rigdell incident where he was when he was arrested in December for the murders. Stay tuned to part three of Clown Killer John Wayne Gacy next week. Have a good week. Stay safe out there, and thank you for listening.